Uh, let's see. Should we do a tech story of the of the week before we get into any Linux stuff? Hmm, let's see here. Let's see here. Scanning, scanning. Uh, Jiffy launches a new GIF maker tool. Hey, hey, big news, everybody. Hey, I used that today. She's <laughs> really, dude. <laughs> Did you listen, really? <laughs> listen, listen. It's integrated into Facebook Messenger, and my mom sent me a GIF, so I had to send something. <sighs> and the value of this is negative. This is Linux Unplugged, episode 207, for July 25th, 2017. Welcome to Linux Unplugged with your host, Freshly Back, from Montana. My name is Chris. Mr. West is actually en route. I think he's battling some sort of five-headed monster in Seattle traffic. But back from last week, because you demanded more Beard, is Mr. Rekai himself. Hello, Beard! Hey, guys! Hey! So you'll be uh, sitting in for, with uh, with us at least uh, for a little while, especially it's kind of perfect since uh, apparently we can only fit two hosts and then one has to <laughs> pop out. So <laughs> anyways, we got a really, really fun show. I, I, A new season is upon me after years and years of running Arch. I'm beginning a new journey. I'm distro hopping for the first time in years. We'll talk about where I've landed initially and the kind of things i'm getting into new release it's really great so much work's got into it kick the tires we'll be talking about it just a little bit on the show also huge news today breaking as we go on air we'll cover that fedora's got some big news we kind of hinted at it when we talked last uh what two weeks ago about fedora 26 i guess it wasn't last week Mm -hmm. then there's a vulnerability that's actually a problem with windows msi files still manages to screw up your linux box Still, nice. yeah, yeah. It's it's actually kind of adorable. It's not a big deal, but we're still going to talk about it. Then we're going to talk about what they say is the most beautiful Linux distribution ever. No other distro is more beautiful, and it's based on the Plasma desktop. Hmm. I'm in. Yeah, yeah. So we'll be talking about that. Plus, adapting GNOME for ADHD users like myself. It's true. I have to admit it. You may have noticed it yourself. And uh, of course, my my. Uh, my, my, I, I was going to say my perilous journey, but I, I hope at the other end of it will be a golden rainbow as I switch from Arch. I'll tell you why and what I'm going to. But before we go any further, I've missed him. You probably missed him by now. It's our virtual log. Time appropriate greetings, Mumble Room. Hello. Hello, everybody. Good to see you in there. Good to hear from all of you. Music to my ears. Yeah, good group in there, too. Good to see everybody. So uh, I got I to gotta say right now, even though he's not here, I just want to say at the top of the show, before I forget, thank you to Wes for filling in, and thank you to Beard for stopping by. Uh, and and uh, people like you. I, I'm not exactly sure well, why. Turns, turns out uh, <laughs> when we get you off the show, the yeah. show just gets better. I, I think they just like you in general. We put you on user error, and they like you. We put you on Linux Unplugged, and they like you. So That's okay. I'll, I'll launch like 15 shows. Maybe they can tell. Maybe they can tell the impressiveness of the beard through the podcast. Like you know, maybe it like shows up on mic somehow. It adds a certain warmth to the broadcast. That's what it is, dude. So, anyways, thank you guys for filling it. How did it go? Did it go okay? Pretty smoothly. Did the soundboard machine crash on you guys? No, because when I got back, like the soundboard stuff was all reset. Uh, I think I might have restarted the app. Oh, okay. Well, so I you know managed to restore the soundboard files, and it was just fine. I yeah. was like, hmm, I wonder what happened. But yeah, otherwise, the place was in pretty good shape. I gotta say. Shows went out on time. The trains kept running. I'm just going to take off more often. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in fact, I just posted about, uh, two, what, two, three hours ago, the Montana fix. Uh, it is the vlog post of my trip to Montana. Ended up going down there with Noah and his family. 
and had a great time and hit a technical snafu, which, of course, no one I had to spring into action to solve. So that sort of ended up in the vlog, too, unexpectedly. It's pretty. I think it's a pretty good vlog. I think it sets the bar now for the vlog. It's Vlog 48, The Montana Fix. You can just find it over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. And while we're doing kind of admin stuff here at the top of the show, probably worth mentioning that we've announced the winner of the XPS 13 Developer Edition sweepstakes in User Air 18. Indeed. There's, there's some other big announcements in there, too. There are. User Air 18 and... Um, I begin the conversation. It's a really good conversation. We have uh, Mr. Chase Nunes uh, stop by, and he gives us his perspective of somebody who watches Linux from afar. And we talk about some, I think, compelling Linuxy stuff in that episode. Like really good, good. Yeah, stuff I really to- enjoyed having Chase on there. Yeah, me too. And it was like the conversation was great because you and I we have our long held positions on some of these topics, and Chase is coming at it with a fresh eye, and because he's dabbled with a certain amount of understanding, so it makes for a really interesting conversation. You can say it, Chris. He's a noob that knows things. Yeah, he's an informed noob, exactly, Uh, and without bias. So -hmm. it brings a fresh, interesting perspective to it. So that's user error 18, plus the winner of the uh, XPS 13 sweepstakes, which is pretty cool. All right, so let's start with the big news that I was teasing. This is what really is, it's it's like tangentially Linux related. It definitely affects us Linux users. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's the big news from Adobe today as we go on air that they are an- announcing the end of life for the Flash player. I don't get like crazy excited. It's 2020. Isn't this like the third time they've announced that though? Kind it feels of. like it is. This one though has a different weight to it. So they're first of all, they're being specific. They say specifically we will stop updating and distributing the Flash player at the end of 2020 and encourage content creators to migrate any existing Flash content to new open formats like they mentioned HTML5 and WebGL earlier. Adobe will continue to support Flash on a number of major OSs and browsers that currently support Flash content through the planned end of life. This will include issuing regular security patches, maintaining OSs and browser compatibility and adding feature capabilities as needed. Now, there was, a, there was a line here that they said, Adobe will continue to support Flash on a number of major OSs and browsers. So I was like, is Linux in that list? And it is. It is. It is, it is, actually, it is actually in that list. Linux x86 is in that list. So uh, we will continue to get updates. 32 and uh, or I think just 60. I can't remember which. I, well, who cares? I the, don't really give a shit. The real question is, is the ending of Adobe handling that also going to be the end of like Pepper Flash? Because that's handled by Google. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how that'll affect. Well, that. so the Chromium blog announced. I, I went, so I went a little digging. I was like, "Well, what's WebKit got to say? What's Chromium got to say? And what's Mozilla?" I haven't I haven't seen any posts from Mozilla yet, but I did get a couple from Chromium and WebKit. And so they sort of they have like a nice guy sort of like, "Yay, Flash is dead." They're like, "Flash really helped pioneer our rich web experience." Also, it's an eighty percent usage decline, dropping like a rock. <laughs> well, that's that's still not quite answering Pepper Flash, though, because Chromium did Flash through the native stuff, whereas right, Pepper right. Flash is Google. I don't know. I, so it sounds like they're going to continue to... Um, Chrome will increasingly require... Here's what, here's what they say. So Chrome itself, this is, of course, on the Chromium blog, so it's mm-hmm. a little confusing, but Chrome itself will increasingly require explicit permission from users to run Flash content until it is completely removed at the end of 2020. That makes sense. So that's at least the Chrome story. Of course, uh, I actually I already ran into that where uh, I couldn't figure out why a website wouldn't work, uh, but it turned out that Flash was disabled in that website by default. Oh. and uh, Did Chrome do that for you? Yes, but it also didn't tell me that I needed to allow it, so I had to go digging to find the setting. 
So Safari's been starting to, to do that too, I believe. And so WebKit sort of where Google had like this really, really nice sort of flash has helped enrich the web for years. WebKit had more of a dance on its grave kind of approach. It's interesting <laughs> to see the different tones in, in the projects. Um, and in fact, they sort of promote the fact that they've essentially been pushing this direction since 2010 <laughs> and uh, highlight the fact that, uh, that they've been making Flash harder and harder to use in WebKit, essentially. Well, really, they've been, they've been pushing this direction since they launched the iPhone. Yeah, yeah. Without yeah. Flash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually kind of call that out here. They say, uh, they say Apple users have, ex- have experienced the web without Flash for some time. iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch have never supported Flash. For the Mac, the transition from Flash began in 2010 when Flash no longer was pre-installed. Today, if users install Flash, it remains off by default. Safari requires explicit approval on each website before running the Flash plugin. Interesting. So what do you think? Go ahead, ben? then. <laughs> yeah. Well, so what do you think, Poppy? Uh, I think it's surprising it took this long. It's uh-huh. sad that there's loads of little games and stuff that won't work and anymore. But yeah, goodbye. Good riddance. Agreed. Hmm. Bashful Fruit, you have a comment about 2007, as in this should have happened in 2007. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, they were in denial for three years, it sounds like. I mean, you could already see the writing on the wall and the way it sparked up in the developer community at the beginning. Yeah, although, um, you know, you talk to folks and they'll tell you that Flash is still best at X. And, you know, like... It's true. Nothing fully replaces its entire set of capabilities. and, And it seems to be the most capable live stream player. Like we've played around with a lot with that. What are your thoughts on that? Because I know you know. You've done... I think uh, it's it's mostly able to be replaced now. Yeah. Stuff like video JS and right and yep. that kind of stuff. Yeah, but that's what that's like in the last. How long has that been good? A year, a year or two. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, you think two? Maybe a year. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, it's like it's we're getting there, but there's still and areas. Th- there's still like parts of it that aren't quite there yet. But I think with the announcement of the end of Flash, that it's going to accelerate those those things that are missing. Mm-hmm. Also, the um. The announcement of uh, DRM uh, for HTML5, although that upsets a lot of people, will probably pro- probably helped right usher this in. Huh, interesting. That is a silver lining, I suppose, because that was the one big thing for live streaming that was missing is the ability to do uh, DRM. Yeah, yeah, I suppose you could put it that way. Bashful robot, you think it's going to be like IPv6? Well, yeah, no one's really going to touch it until they have to or until there's a better alternative, which, as you know, everyone mentioned, it's taken this long and maybe it's because there isn't something there. But until you have to do it, no one's going to do it. It's extra work. It's dead. I don't agree. Like most of the, the major things that have used Flash have already transitioned to HTML5, like mm-hmm. YouTube and, and Twitch. They're, they're massive Netflix. and they didn't have to switch to HTML5, but they did. Um, when Twitch still is heavily in Flash. This is why we're going to transition Jupiter Broadcasting over to Silverlight. It's an obvious direction of the, of the future, right? I mean, Silverlight's really the streaming platform of choice for users. You can just go no, down. we're going to use Java applet. <laughs> you know what I hate is freaking dependency hell. Hate it. And I'm going to be honest, it's one of the reasons I was initially drawn to Debian is because the app get command would figure out tons. This is back in This is back before Yum and DNF. Uh, where you would just go raw dog an RPM onto a Red Hat box and then go figure out all the dependencies yourself and use RPM. And just, ugh, it was awful. And so, now you just use Docker. Well, yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, and Debian went a step further, but it's still one system. There's things like that depend specifically on other things. You know, you could use Apache and PHP, for example, here. And when we talked last, nope, I can't do that. I got to remember when we talked two weeks ago about <laughs> Fedora 26, uh, we, we discussed a little bit with Matthew Miller of Boltron which, as the name kind of sounds, is kind of like bolt-on. It's, it's a modular server system that they're working where you could have individual components of Fedora be replaced or upgraded without causing this crazy-ass dependency help. And I wasn't quite sure how this worked, but Langdon White did a post over at fedoramagazine.org that gives us some of the technical details of how Fedora is going to be pulling this off. So the Fedora Modularity Working Group, yes, there is such a thing, uh, has an objective, and the objective is to generically work towards modularity. Its crux is to allow users to safely access the right versions of what they want. So imagine some uh, hotshot web developer needs a very specific version of uh, whatever they use, Ruby on Rails, I don't, I, I, you know, I, I, you, you, can, you can imagine your own scenario. The working group took the requirement that they, they, they took on the requirement to impact Fedora infrastructure, user base, and package community as little as possible. The group also wanted to increase the quality and reliability of Fedora itself, the distribution, and drastically increase the automation and speed of delivery. I think this is one of the reasons why Rawhide's getting to a more usable point, too. As a result, the group didn't treat this as a greenfield experiment, sort of like how ButterFS was created. Instead, they took a rational approach that took years towards working towards something. Uh, like, you know, I mean, they, instead of taking like that kind of approach, they took a more rational approach. Instead of working for years, they took a more rational approach um, and they just tried to keep the tool sets pretty minimal and implement them as they need and to make slight adjustments to existing systems in, uh, that eventually in totality provide something new. The result is a package set that can be sort of thought of as virtualized separate repositories. That's how they're doing this. So this is, in other words, uh, the client tooling treats the traditional flat repo as if it was a set of repos that are only enabled when you want that version of a component. Hmm. Virtualizing out the repos is, I think, and the package set is uh, pretty smart. And so Boltron, or Boltron, I'm sorry, uh, is sort of this, NF, is this, this, this effort, this initiative, and uh, they have stuff ready to try right now. And they're looking for feedback. I think... This, to me, is a pretty important part of uh, if, you, if you're going to use the package management system to deliver software, this is what has to be fixed. If you're, if you're, if you're not using Docker or Flatpak or Snaps and you want to deliver software to a server distribution or something like that, this is what you've got to fix. Um, but I kind of feel like it might be – it's sort of like fixing the barn door after the cows have gotten home. Speaking of the barn door, Mr. Wes Payne is joining us. Hello, Wes. Hello. Hello. So uh, we were just going over uh, Boltron, the modular server preview of Fedora. It's getting out there, and they're asking people to try it out right now. The whole idea is, you know, they're going to do virtualized repositories and package sets. So you can overlay, like, very specific things and upgrade individual components without dragging the entire OS of dependencies with you. I love it. I got to say, like, we, when we talked about it on the, the earlier show... I, I was excited, but after having read about it a little bit in between, I'm. This seems like it's going to be great. I, I kind of want to tried it yet, but I kind of want to pick Wimpy's brain. But I'm going to ask you first, right on, since you just sat down. Isn't this kind of solving last year's problem? Isn't kind of the future snaps and flat packs for this kind of thing, or Docker even? Possibly, um, but I, some of some of those seem like they they fit 
different use cases. This kind of excited me in a way that kind of more reminded me of things like Nix OS and where does it give some more flexibility on the, you know, the open source sort of how we craft the bulk of our packages. And I, I mean, maybe we'll go to a place where everything is in a snap and that such, but it seems like that is certainly going to take a long time mm-hmm. and is in many ways kind of a drastic shift. Mm-hmm. In, in other ways, not. But this seems like it's a little bit more, you know, it, it would let me maybe much more easily install three different versions of Ruby or something. Right, exactly. But without, like, having a snap for each one, which would maybe break more of my, you know, current deployment strategies. Okay. All right. So that's good. That's good. I like that. That's okay. Now you, now you got me reconsidering. I kind of want to do a, So Mr. Wimpy, I believe, is a pretty big fan of uh, universal package formats like mm-hmm. Snap. And uh, I'm wondering if you think there's space for both, like major re-innovation in how the underlying OS handles packages for software delivery and universal package formats on top of that. That's a lot of questions. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, why I tossed it to you, Wimpy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, th- I, think, I think Voltron is probably uh, a result of the fact that Flatpak is not ideally suited for distributing... Uh, command line applications, languages, and services, and things like that. So I think it's it, it's not competing with Flatpak in that regard. It's complementing what what Flatpak offers. Hmm. Okay, fair enough. Anybody else want to jump in on the moment before we move on? I uh, I look at it as in the back of my mind. I, I run this fantasy scenario where Chris Lass runs Fedora for a year, Ooh. and he runs it on the desktop and on the server. This guy's crazy. Obviously not real Chris Lass, because that'd be crazy. No. But if he was going to do it, this would probably be a something like this and a Fedora OS trees uh, stuff would probably mm-hmm. be a good way to pull it off. Yeah. I, uh, if you want to read more about it and try it out, you can find a link to the Fedora magazine in the show notes. So there was a vulnerability going around that uses Windows MSI files to exploit the Linux desktop. Well, what? That seems crazy. Um, see, this is what happens when Ubuntu switches to GNOME. If they hadn't... No, I'm kidding. Yeah, right. Uh, so it's called Bad Taste, and this is this is so funny I want to talk about it. Obviously, you know, if you I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm not covering on vulnerabilities as much these days, because by the time we talk about it, it's old news. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows. That there's been the disclosure and everybody... But this is a fun one. So this is a vulnerability that actually resides in Nautilus GNOME files. But it's exploited by MSI files, so it's kind of funny. The third-party thumbnailer that's bundled in with GNOME files uh, tries to look into an MSI file and extract out, like, a thumbnail. And uh, somebody was poking around and discovered that they could hide malicious VB scripts inside the names of MSI files when the user accesses a folder on his or her computer where the malicious MSI file is just saved. You don't even click on it. It's just you go to that folder. So maybe, you know, yeah, somebody downloads something. Uh, I heard a story recently about somebody's uh, mom or aunt that uh, was trying to watch streaming movies and kept downloading EXEs. And if it weren't for on being on Linux, they would have been infected up oh, the yeah, wazoo. Right. So you can have these things just show up in your downloads folder when you don't even expect it, especially for average users. So the GNOME files would try to automatically parse that file to extract an icon from its contents, and they would display that in your window. But the problem is once you parse that MSI file looking for the icon, the thumbnailer script also reads the file name and executes the code found within. <laughs> ah, there you go. Shots. So it's uh, – <laughs> there's little tricks you can do right now. Like you can go nuke the, the uh, user share thumbnailers file if you want. But uh, 
I think that was just that was our that was the funny exploit of the week. MSI files that are screwing over GNOME files users. That's I mean, yeah, you'd see that and you'd be like, well, whatever, okay, that I don't even have to scan this. Now everybody proceed to be scared, um, freak out, and it uh, seems panic. like we've seen a number of these kind of things though, where uh, specifically different file types that we're trying to create previews from or yeah. sound or yeah, yeah. Windows it happens to Windows too. Mm-hmm. Um, we are not alone, but it does seem to be the act. Of parsing a file, but I, you know, I suppose any time when you have an, a program executing code and it's taking input, if you're not super careful about the sanity of that input, yeah. so is this something like you know how they'll mark downloaded files sometimes, or you know, don't let you run downloaded? Yeah, but even files? if the file isn't marked executable because the Nautilus well, thumbnail, no, is what I was proposing it. is like you, do we need like some, you know, in the metadata on this file that we need to specify something that the system then like don't thumbnail, don't preview, don't. Don't interact with unless approved. I mean, a really reason. obvious stupid hack would be just disable thumbnailing on the quote-unquote downloads folder. Oh, uh, yeah, that might work. Or containerize thumbnail generation. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, you know, that's actually the route it would go, too. Like, a whole fake file system would mount up. A Linux system would be spawned. X would be started. Your browser would be executed. The file would be downloaded. Man, that sounds very apple Yeah, that's pretty much what Apple would do. <laughs> And it might just work. <laughs> oh, man. That is... So there you go. That is your cyber attack of the week, everybody. Is, you could just use Dolphin. Yeah, oh. Or Thunar, I'm sure, would yeah. also be... A, <laughs> or the command line. Yeah, I just use LS. Because those inferior ones aren't capable of generating thumbnails. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I guess it could it could happen there, too. Although I, I have not seen the story for Dolphin. Uh, I don't... You know what? I don't... I don't ever have my directory in big icon view anyways. I'm always list view. I need as much information in there as yeah, I can. Yeah, totally. That's how I roll. That is how, you know, if, you, if you're like me, if you like a lot of information, you might like Ting. Huh? Go to linux.ting.com. They give you all the information you need right there in their dashboard. They hide nothing from you. One of the things that made it really simple for me with our business account is I can name the lines in the web interface. And then on our bill reporting, everywhere throughout the UI and the apps on the phones, those nicknames show up. And when you have multiple lines, and why wouldn't you? It's $6 for a line. (laughs) So it makes giving phones out to staff and family members economical, especially if you already have a CDMA or GSM device to check their BYOD page. Then it's just your usage. It's $6 for the line, whatever Uncle Sam's cut is, and then your usage. It's brilliant. So if you got like the beard over there on the Wi-Fi, I mean like that's... Chris y'all. forgets he pays for me. That's, like, that's very true, <laughs> actually. And if I didn't have like beard labeled in the, I know, I just look at it I see beard. Never uses hardly any data. Like, you know, maybe makes a couple of He's calls. Considering. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. And I love that about Ting because it's approachable for small businesses, it's perfect for families, and it scales to large businesses. You can get started by going to linux.ting.com and take $25 off a device or save $25 if you bring one. Uh, check out their Twitter page, too, at uh, TingFTW. They're doing a giveaway right now of the Moto E4S uh, and $250 in credit, which would last a really long time since the average bill is $23 a line when you add everything up. Also, great deal right now on the Moto G5 Plus. This is a CDMA and GSM phone, so it's really nice on Ting since they have both networks. You can pick what works better. $274. You can get it unlocked. It's new. It's a great Android. Like, they just made, like, small tweaks to Android that are generally good. And it's a solid, well-built phone from Motorola for $274. No contract, no early termination fee. You can get started by going to linux.ting.com to get it at that price or bring your own device linux.ting.com thanks to ting for sponsoring the unplugged program 
damn, that's a good URL, yeah, too. Yeah, it is. Mm. Linux.ting.com. So, I was looking at the world's most beautiful Linux distribution ever. Staring at it, really. I was a little uncomfortable about it. This is one of those things where I've never heard anybody say it out loud before, so now I'm going to be the first guy to say it out loud. I'm going to sound like a jerk. Uh, or you'll be the tastemaker for I, this. I hope so. I think it's Nitrix. What do you think? Nitrix, N-I-T-R-U-X. Nitrix. 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 Anybody in the mumble room checked out Nitrix, the world's most beautiful Linux di- distribution ever? That's apparently, according to this review, uh, they say it's a Linux distribution focused on design. It introduces the Nomad desktop, which is built on top of KDE Plasma 5 and Cute. It's based on Ubuntu, actually Ubuntu 17.10 to be in specific. And uh, it is obviously because of that still under development, although they say it's close enough. This is a quote from the devs. It's close enough to a rolling release model. I am... I, uh, that's, uh, that's, no, that is not, no, that is, using the beta of Ubuntu does not make it a, does not make a rolling release. That is not how that works. That's not the math. I agree. Okay. Yep. All right. We don't need to, we don't need to go any, we, okay. All right. So it does say that I mean, they're like focused on portable universal app formats. Really? You're going to disagree and say Ooh, that using oh. the beta is like, I mean, if you go from beta to beta to beta, like some sort of hooker, then yeah, it's. Are, are they saying they're not doing that? <laughs> I don't know if they're being hookers or not. I can't say. Because, you know, when they say they're using the beta, they could just be moving to the next beta when they have the the freeze. Man, that sounds like the kind of desktop I want to run. But then I I don't get why they just wouldn't be using Debian Unstable as their base. Yeah, yeah. That's, well, because Ubuntu does a lot of hard work. That's why. Well, okay. (laughs) And they got those repos, man. Have you seen how fast those repos are? I'd love to rehost those repos. I'd love to just reuse those repos. Are you over here crapping on Debian now? No. (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) Uh, It's funny how many distros are coming out based on 1710 when 1804 is clearly around the corner. Mm. And And aren't you excited? Clearly the better way to go. One thing I noticed about this is they're saying it's a reincarnation of the old distro. I didn't even know they had an old distro. Yeah, they had an old one based on 15. 1810 back in the day oh yeah and they stopped development because of a problem with systemd and network manager they gave up <laughs> like i don't mean to well, laugh I mean, at them because you know because they were laugh. using beta for that they were using system they were using system during the systemd transition they were on the beta huh. yeah, which was like you mean they were on the rolling release is that what you mean yeah, they were on they were on the their their rolling beta ish thing that was like right before the transition happened so it just started. It was just boy, that was a bad time. You might say they were beta testers. Yeah, only they're yeah. trying to build a yeah, distro at is. the same time. It's kind of confusing. They have nx.org, which is like almost nix or nxos.org. It's really simple. <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, even people that just normally use their desktops have problems with Network Manager. <laughs> yeah, I feel true. like what this really is, and they're not saying it, is I think it's neon. I think it's repackaged neon with a nice oh. theme. Uh, because they say the current version of Nitrix is based on the dev branch of Ubuntu. On top of that, we're getting continuous updates to Plasma provided by neon devs, for which we enabled both Git repositories and finally our homebrewed mm-hmm. software like Nomad Desktop. All right, yeah. you know what? I mean, I think it's. I think it's. It's if you are a cute fan and uh, you like the plasma desktop, or looking for maybe a different take on it, it might be worth a look. I mean, we're having some fun here, but it, you know, maybe something. It's that's, a hybrid concept. Maybe something that's lighter than full KDE, but isn't LXQT that's not finished yet. 
Well, I mean, it's how I don't see how it's lighter when it adds more stuff, and also KDE plasma is not heavy at all, so that's the. Well, <laughs> there, there's there's a separation between plasma and the rest of KDE now. Is my point? So, well, yeah, because KDE is a community and a project, not yeah, plasma. I, well, so it's sort of like why I sit around and fantasize about what the budgie desktop might be mm-hmm. uh, once uh, Ike stops fixing absolutely everything else in the distro and focuses on the <laughs> new. I want my new desktop, damn it! Well, I, I hear budgie's complete, Chris. Well, no, it turns out that uh, there, as when a distro grows, there's, there, there are things that legitimately need to be replaced. And so I understand that, you know, some fine plumbing is being done, but I do fantasize about a, a, about a desktop that Ike and team have worked on that is Qt-based, but not Plasma 5 itself, but still uses KWin, and GTK apps look like first-class citizens. It just seems like a perfect world. And this actually, looking at the screenshots, I got to say... It's pretty. It they have a very flashy website. I, actually, if you I've actually at, used Nitrix a little bit. Oh, give me your thoughts. Really? This, the, the new version. Oh, yeah. Tell me what you think. Uh, it is interesting in the, in the things that they're doing. The, the customizations they're doing are kind of interesting. Like One of the most annoying things for Plasma for me is the notification structure uh, because it doesn't keep track of a history of notifications anymore. And that is incredibly irritating and has been for over a year for me. And to the point where there's like a Telegram group for it and there's some <laughs> big bug threads for it and all this other stuff. Hmm. Anyway, they built their own solution to that and I think they did it pretty well. Um, it's There's some bugs in it as, in, in the structure because they kind of built all their system tray. Everything that's like a system tray widget would go into this new system tray they built. Hmm. So their notifications are stored into that. So that it's pretty cool overall. Uh, but it, it feels like a, like a Mac... Uh, Elementary style, like the uh, menu launcher, and then then Mac everything else. So they have like global menu and have uh, the dock installed by default and things like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting concepts, and I do like the fact that they have they've built some cool stuff. Um, one of the things that I I which wish that Plasma distros had was a, a more uh, cute based graphical firewall, and they built one for their Nomad thing. Uh, it's called the Nomad Firewall, and it's basically a system settings module that is a uh, front-end GUI for UFW. Interesting. Do you know, do you have, you happen to seen what the uh, license is for that? For that particular one? I, I haven't looked at that, no. Hmm. But they, they seem to be uh, GPL3 on everything I've, I've seen. Boy, it's, mm. uh, uh, I, I'm still kind of trying to figure out where this, this is nice, um, but uh, yeah, with with the world that has LXQt, I, I, what do you think, Wimby? With the world that has LXQt, where does this fit? Um, I, I'm not sure where that this fits in. It, 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 it I can't tell enough from the website as to what it is exactly. Yeah, it seems like one and if it's, worth looking at. If it's something on top of Neon or mm-hmm. Kubuntu or whatever, it um, does seem to be their own custom desktop. I don't want to say it's an entire environment, but it, it's not a it's not the typical Plasma shell. I will yeah. say. I will say that it, at least uh, from what they showed, their their settings interface looks way better than KDE. I think it is the KDE one. Is it, it is really? Yeah. It is the same. They I think it is. It's just different. Stuff. Yeah, the, the icons are way clearer, and then the the borders between each segment are more. Yeah, I guess it's just more clearly defined. Yeah, the cl- the borders are more defined, and it, yeah. that, that visual separation makes they, it. The hover effect is, is doesn't doesn't have that same margin padding structure, so it looks awkward. But yeah. like there, there's certain things about it that are really cool, and there's other parts that it look like they, they're it's not finished yet, and it is it looks looks like it's on a beta. 
So there's this the interesting thing about it is it feels like an enthusiast that doesn't want to edit anything that wants a Mac approach. So like you can start with this Mac approach and then customize it however you want because it does seem to be built on plasma. I looked at the widgets and they're all very they they all seem to be plasma widgets. Huh. So it looks like they took plasma and then like uh-huh. made modifications to plasma itself and then also installed the latte dock and some other things. So oh and the the menu that's in Nitrix is as a custom menu they built as a custom applet. So they they are doing some modifications to plasma but it does feel like plasma. And it seems like they're doing an Ubuntu like rolling beta thing with the neon packages on top of it, which is kind of interesting and also to me, kind of scary to me because the those packages are made for the 16.04 release of, of the stack. Mm. So it's kind of, mm. you know, that that could be mm. a problem. Mm. You know, have, uh, oh, have any of you looked at LXCube seriously? I was thinking, actually, this, I was just going to say this story is making me want to give it another go because mm-hmm. it's been it's been since it was in it was earlier in, in an early stage of development since I looked at it. I haven't looked at it since it's come you've along. You've got an LXQ expert in the chat room at the moment, in yeah. the mobile room rather. I was actually going to suggest that maybe Simon should chime in and you know from from his perspective of someone who works with LXQ, uh, what he thinks about this distro. And uh, Simon, could can I throw a random tech question at you too? Uh, is Kwin in LXQ? Is that part of? I mean, how, how can you explain that too? Is that like if I if I set up LXQ on my system, uh, can I use Kwin as a backend window manager, or whatever? Um, I believe you can. Um, I've I've done it in a, in a VM just to test, but um, I mainly use it with OpenBox. In fact, I'm running LXQ on my system right oh, now with yeah. OpenBox. That's right. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I can use K1 on the back end. Um, like I said, I played around with it in a VM. Um, the main reason why why somebody would want to use K1 with Elixcute is for Wayland support. And the only reason exactly, why yeah. why yeah um, the only reason why Elixcute hasn't gone to 1.0 yet is um, Elixcute 1.0 is Wayland complete. That's oh. why that, that hasn't gone to 1.0. Oh, um, nice. And we don't have any we don't have an ETA for. Um, you know, I've, I've recently been doing some upstream LXQ development, and we don't have an ETA for 1.0, but I know they're going to do uh, what was it? Um, I think it was 0.12 that they're going to do upstream within the next month or two. Okay. Okay. Well, I guess I'd put this out there to the audience, too. If anybody's tried Nitrix and wants to write in and tell us what it's like, mm-hmm. let me know. I, like, for me, though, I, like, I think my time would probably be spent better with LXQ. You know, this I don't, I don't really want to bring it up again, but this approach is kind of the approach I was talking about uh, when we were talking about Pop! OS. I feel like this is an approach that makes more sense. They're doing significant customization, but they're basing it on top of the, right. the distribution instead of mm-hmm. spinning it off into its own thing. Yeah, from what I can tell, I don't know if it's a if it's a fork of Plasma or if it's just something that sits on top of Plasma with some themes. That's I haven't been able to tell that from looking yeah. at the website. I, I, Based my, on my, what I've experienced, it looks like it's just sitting on top. Yeah, that's my guess too. By looking at it, it is it, yeah, like the just, difference. Just yeah, the things the I've used between, on it, it just seemed like it's on top. But there's there are there are things that are customized that are not Plasma at all. But it seems like they've they they they, they changed. It looks like they're just replacing applets. I wouldn't necessarily um, compare it with KD Neon because Neon is is like Plasma on top of the LTS Ubuntu, and they're trying to do, I believe, like a whole different experience with this. Um, and like I said, Neon is is just, from what I can tell, it's a it's a Plasma testing ground. Right. I think the only reason the only reason the Neon thing comes up is that they uh, say specifically that they use Neon packages. Oh, okay. Gotcha. 
So it's it's an it's an interesting the de- uh, de- desktop, but they they're, they're doing things that are cool that they they're basing on an existing distro with some existing uh, packages already built for them. They're just making modifications, but at the same time, they are using a beta release of a distro that's uh, that's weird. It, it, if you're going to provide a package that's like all set up for you out of the box, why would you base it on a rolling beta thing? Mm. That, and then that that's sort of something I don't know. Why would they do? Why would they not do it on? You know, why would they not wait for eighteen oh four or why not seventeen oh four? I mean, I'm just curious to see why if there's something new in seventeen ten that they that they need or something along those lines. There is one more thing I wanted to point out that it's really cool that they have a they built a custom module for System D inside of System Settings, so you can make all your modifications to System D straight in the System Settings. So that's pretty cool. Oh, that's pretty nice. All right, so I gotta put a, I gotta put the call out there to see what people think. I I'm tempted, I'm tempted, but I, I got a greater story to tell today, and I'm That's already right. on a journey. I can't I can't deviate now, otherwise I might give it a look myself. This is where the community can help. You guys gave me a hard time about Slackware last week. <laughs> nope, nope. I didn't notice. Nope, nope. I actually was thinking about taking a Slackware challenge. In you the should. Future. I was thinking about it. It's just I'm really on a journey right now. Like I'm like on a I'm on a path. To a new distro for our production equipment Is that and right? all of my all my systems upstairs, my laptop, and so I'm on a journey of a process of elimination right now, and I don't want to I don't want to get too distracted. You know, Chris, because I can distro hop for days, girls. Last time people told you to take a journey, you ended up switching the entire studio to that distro. So maybe you should take another journey. Well, see, this is the thing. This is why I'm taking it slowly and methodically. So I'll tell you more about it later, but. First, uh, stretch your middle fingers out for a moment because it may be time to point them once again in NVIDIA's general direction. I don't. Maybe you guys can talk me down from the ledge here. But uh, an, an NVIDIA developer who works on the Linux graphics side. So, uh, Aaron, you uh, shout out to Aaron uh, Platner, I think is. I'm not, I think that's his name. Uh, thank you for your hard work. And now, uh, please uh, accept this. Accept this plea from your humble Linux podcast. Please consider supporting X Wayland. It appears right now that NVIDIA has no plans to support applications running under X Wayland with the NVIDIA proprietary graphics driver, which to me seems like a bad thing since that's pretty much almost anything that's using the proprietary driver today. And uh, it's not like we're going to get games rebuilt with Wayland support tomorrow. And um, I just – the amount of applications that would be effed in the A, you might say, seems great. Unless I'm misunderstanding the – dramatic impact this is going to have. Well, doesn't that mean that uh, LXQT 1.0 won't work on NVIDIA? <laughs> as long as you're in under Wayland with KWIN. Right. Uh, I, I don't know because it's... Uh, no, because that would be a... Na- no, because that'd be talking Wayland. Anything that communicates Wayland will be good. Anything that's, oh, that's okay. talking X... Gotcha. Anything that's talking through X Wayland, that sort of X translation, yeah. translation compatibility layer, it seems like... And this is... Oh, man. Oh, architect. Oh! Every single time we talk about this, ugh, everybody always brings up AMD. You know, I actually think that uh, NVIDIA's position is a good position because at some point you need to just make a hard break and stop supporting legacy stuff. All of the games that have ever been written ever? Well, then you can just go run them on X. Maybe what am I misunderstanding here? This, I guess, yeah, I guess. I mean, so the thing is, right, it's like it's, they're not doing this thing. But no one's making any Linux gamer uninstall their X server. I think X is going to be abandoned at some point anyway, so those games will eventually not work anyway. Exactly. Well, I don't know. I mean, 
Well, I mean, how sure are we that X isn't going to be around for another ten years? I'm, I'm sure something. It'll like, probably still be around. I'm just saying, like, eventually, if the argument is the things that are going to be that currently available are not going to be available, like, well, that will happen eventually anyway. I'm sure there'll be one distro just like uh, Denovu De that does that doesn't use systemd that'll continue to use X until the end of time. But I think it's pretty clear that the the future is Wayland. Well, the, the chat room and everybody listening right now shouting that their podcast player will tell you the future is AMD uh, and open source drivers. The problem is there are millions of GTX cards already bought and paid for. And one of the reasons people like to use Linux is because they get value out of their existing hardware. And now all of a sudden we're going to come to Long and say, hey, welcome to Linux. Go get an AMD card. I don't think that's going to work. So I appreciate that maybe AMD has a better path forward driver wise, right. but it's a it's like that's like telling people to have battery life issues to switch to CyanogenMod or whatever. Also, no. just because the NVIDIA proprietary drivers uh, won't support XWayland doesn't mean that something like Novio won't. That's that's fair. Yeah. Oh, oh. By the way, uh, real time update here in the show. Uh, Simon just chiming in and saying the next version of LXQt release will have nice things like high DPI support. That's really great, and tons of more polishing, including compatibility with the latest Qt. That is awesome. I uh, I will be checking that out. So what do you think, Bashful Fruit? Is there going to be, like, a, a groundswell to fix this problem? I don't necessarily think it'll be a groundswell. It's more of making a smart-ass comment that someone will just fork it and go back because they didn't want to keep go to the new one. Well, uh, rumor has it the Debian project is working on Rootless X, right? So maybe we just solve the problem of X's security issues, and uh, you could be sitting there running Wayland all day long, and then when it comes time to game, you just launch Rootless X somehow and yeah, switch I, over to a different, uh, yeah, different terminal. And, exactly. Hmm. I mean, that's that's a hack, but it would seems like would something prevent you from running Wayland and a Rootless X server on another console at the same time? I actually don't know that one technically. Seems like that would be a plausible fix. Yeah, hmm. it becomes almost appliance like in some ways. I just can't really understand. Uh, can anybody i mean so is it are we doing all of this work i mean if we set the security stuff aside are we doing all of this so that way we have tear-free flash video because i just i'm going to just mention we're going to be flash is going to be dead before we're all using wayland that's my prediction that's for sure i think it's more tear-free anything gpu accelerated ever Mm -hmm. yeah yeah. i get tear i get tearing it is hard though i will say i mean like especially when we were you know niche to begin with and in after like twenty years of X, we're like, yeah, all right, people are kind of supporting us now. Great. Mm-hmm. So it's it's probably going to be a long time. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, I guess uh, you know, if uh, if uh, I, we, it's not time to get the pitchforks yet because it seems like the uh, the, the Wayland, the big switch to Wayland. I don't know. I think twenty twenty would be optimistic. I just I just don't see it at this point. Yeah, I I would say five years probably. Yeah. And so it this might be a non-issue. There might be other ways to run these applications. There may be some sort of compatibility layer that has a stable API set created by a company that's experienced in this area that works in open source. Who knows? Who knows? There may be other solutions maybe, to this problem. Maybe NVIDIA will become open source at some point. Who, kn- who knows? Maybe Mark Shuttleworth can sit down with uh, Aaron Plattner over at NVIDIA and espouse the great benefits of mm-hmm. Mir. <laughs> 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 there you go, and then we'll just get we'll just get this ball rolling. Um, <clears throat> so, Wimpy, I'm glad you are here, sir, because uh, for about an hour and a half before the show, I got to play around with the latest alpha of Ubuntu Mate 1710. Holy Uh-oh. smokes! Holy Ooh. smokes! And uh, I have a couple questions. 
couple uh, couple grave concerns and uh, a, a few observations. So that I am very, very much looking forward to talking to because holy cow, what a release. There may be some Patreon leaks involved. I mean, it's, it's some good stuff. I know. Prepare your bodies. Prepare your minds. Wes, have you ever been into a candle store that's like super strong with smells? Oh, yeah. And you know how they have those jars of coffee? Mm-hmm. And you sniff that jar of coffee and it resets the palate? DigitalOcean.com. Go over to DigitalOcean.com and use our promo code Unplugged after you've created your account. Once you sign up, you go in there like a boss, you make your account, and then you apply that promo code Unplugged, and you get a $10 credit. It's like DigitalOcean's like, here, here's a credit card with $10 on it. Go cray. And that's nice because they have a $5 a month rig, which you could run two months for absolutely free, or go the even more like sophisticated on top of it route and do their hourly. Yeah, yo. So, so great. I don't even I don't even know what the like lower prices are because like three cents an hour like I'm like that's, that's whatever good. that's fine that, that's I've I've when literally you really only need it for a couple of hours that is that's and perfect I've, it's so fast it's so so stinking fast uh, it was a, actually a a topic of conversation recently uh, just how how stinking fast their their uh, systems are because first of all it's SSDs throughout everything and it's massively taken advantage of. I'll just put it that way. Then they have Linux as the host system. We all love that. KVM for the virtualizer. 40 gigabit networks to ensure uptime and throughput. Highly available block storage. You can get your systems deployed in seconds. The entire stack or just a base system. Monitoring and alerting so you can collect metrics and monitor performance and get alerts so you can look like a 10-person team even when you're one or two people. The pre-built open source apps too are done right. It's not like magic config scripts that don't make any sense. It's like if you hired a really good sysadmin he went in there and he built a system and then they took an image of it. I wonder, I wonder. Mm. And then you top that all off with really great documentation, incredibly straightforward pricing, dashboard. They even offer images for those crazy BSD folks, Chris. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. They're, they even, they have the audacity to work with the projects upstream too. Can you imagine such yeah, a thing? That's insane. Providing free hosting for many in the open source community. And giving APIs so you can tie stuff directly into your workflow. I won't be having it, Rikai. That's crazy talk. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code Unplugged And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Unplugged program. And thanks to you out in the audience for using Unplugged when you do sign up. Apply it to your account, Unplugged. Man, it is super useful. I was on a network uh, over the weekend that was not so friendly for a little bit. Uh, so I had to do some, you know, tunneling over DNS. What was That was perfect. I didn't want to mess with the servers I already had. New Do Droplet. <laughs> Boom, yep. back online. Yep, yep, yep. So there is um, there is a lot to cover in Ubuntu land these days, um, and so th- you you could say thank you if you if you're not an Ubuntu fan because I could have made this entire show about it. So I'm saving really the best uh, right now, and uh, I want to talk about Ubuntu Mate 17.10. Actually, I think a new alpha release just came out today. I'm I'm being sneaky on Patreon. Two days. Two, oh oh in two days. Oh okay. The pa- the patrons got the release notes early access. But yes. the download is going to be on Thursday. Oh, teasing, teasing, teasing. Wow. So uh, this is a huge release. The uh, the I would say the number one thing that stood out to me when I tried it is how tight the uh, the mutiny tweak option is when you run the Ubuntu or the Mate tweak and you go into the different layouts and you choose mutiny. I mean it. It really looked like Unity Seven. Ooh. With a, after I made a few small tweaks and I turned on Compass, I was pretty much. I was pretty much back in Unity Seven, so it, it that was the me- that was the mode that I played around with uh, 
with uh, this new release the most. I think my favorite feature, Wimpy, and I didn't even notice it until I went to do it, was the complete super key support, which I didn't realize how much that had bugged me until I tapped it and it worked, and I went, oh, yeah, that used to be a problem. Yeah, oh, that's that's huge for me, too. Wow. That, yeah, and and me. You know, that's not there by accident. <laughs> right. But it's funny, though, because it's one of those things where it's not just touching one project to make that work, right? Yeah, I mean, there are so many people that have been involved in making that happen. Um, so in earlier releases, the Mate menu, which used to be called the Advanced Menu in Mate Tweak, had super key support. But it was like super key support in a lot of the smaller desktop environments and launchers in that you could press super to open a menu, but it swallowed the super key. So if you had any other key bindings that used the super key, they just didn't work. Ouch. So Ike obviously cooked up Budgie. Um, and then uh, he, Budgie, the brisk the menu. The brisk menu, for yeah. Marte. Yeah. And we, I, I added a goal in there to add super key support. And somebody from the community stepped in, um, Victor Carrar, I think his name is, or Carrar. I'm sorry, Victor, if I've butchered your name. Uh, and he actually landed the fixes in brisk to make it work. But then he went around and started adding the same patches to the Mate menu. And when he started doing that, he realized that the underlying libraries weren't implemented properly and Mate settings daemon wasn't doing the right thing and Mate doc applet wasn't doing the right thing. So he has been laying down patches all over the place so that super key works. But more importantly, if you've got other key bindings, they work as well. Um, and it sounds like such a simple thing, but it's been a heap of work and I'm I'm really indebted to him because he's turned Mate from a thing that had kind of janky super key support to, to real first-class super key support. And it makes a huge difference to the way I use my computer now because hmm. I just mash yeah. super key, mm-hmm. type, enter, and yep. I'm off to the I races. think there's several more systems that will now be on this next release, I think, as a yep. direct result. I, I can't tell you. To me, it's like, if for some reason, it's muscle memory, smash, super key, T-E-R, enter. And like that's, it has to be smashed. Yeah. You don't, there's no delicate <laughs> no, pressing. No. It's, I command this thing. Um, okay, so I know something else that's been getting polished really for several releases is the heads-up display, which was one of the really kind of cool features when I was using Unity heavily I drifted away from using it, uh, but I do remember during my heyday of using Unity 7, the HUD was handy. And for those of you that aren't familiar, I, 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 I think, at least in the Unity world, essentially it was this tool that you could execute with a keyboard command and like Alt Super or, or whatever, whatever. I can't remember what the command was. And I think Just it, Alt. Okay, Alt. And I think it talked Dbus and it would read all of the menus on an application over Dbus and then it would expose them as a command. Like so you could type in – if you wanted to do file export – you could just type in export into the HUD and it would just pull it up instead oh. of having to dig around. So you didn't have to take your hand off That's the keyboard amazing. to use the menus. Mm-hmm. Is, is, am I getting this right and is that what's coming uh, or at least getting even better in Mate? Yeah, so we, we started that journey in Ubuntu Mate 16.10 and it was not ready. So we, we pulled it. And in this cycle, it's now ready for use. So... Um, this works hand in glove with the global menus that have also been reworked. And uh, it means that, yes, just as you've described, you can open your application. And in, in Ubuntu Mate, it's a slightly different keyboard combination. It's super alt to um, activate oh, okay. the HUD. Although Victor is determined, he tells me, 
to make the necessary changes uh, throughout the various places so that you could activate it with just alt as well. So he's um, he's like a dog with a bone at this at the moment, chasing these issues down. Um, <laughs> but this is a really powerful feature, and it's one that I really valued. Where I've obviously been using Unity for quite a while um, uh, on a day-to-day basis and have recently switched back to Mate on my main machine. And one of the features I loved was the HUD, particularly um, like editing podcasts and you're in Audacity and you want to find the appropriate effects and filters using the HUD makes actually digging out those effects and filters really fast. Oh yeah, absolutely. And also in things like LibreOffice and GIMP where, you know, image processing things are scattered to the four corners of the UI. (laughs) You know, it's really useful for just quickly accessing stuff. So I love that. Yeah. Yeah, me too. In fact, I was just sitting here thinking about how handy that is when I'm on air because it makes things so friggin' quick. Uh, also improvements to indicator support, which is something that seems like gets a lot of work on every release. So is, is there still work to be done on indicators? No, we're done now. This draws oh, nice. under it. Congrats. Yeah, that is good. Uh, just yeah. in time too, really. I mean, this is, yeah. this is looking like one of those releases where if I was, if I was really, if I was really a big fan of unity and uh, I wanted a home to move to that reminded me a lot of it and that workflow with the mate tweak tool, uh, you just—it's like one drop down away. You choose Mutiny, and uh, also I—I I, I turned on Compiz as my compositor, and it—it it really felt a lot like home, because uh, we have a—I—I I was doing an A/B test because I have a Unity Seven system right here that I'm running Mumble on to talk to you guys, and so I ran it on the system right next to it, my main presenter machine, and uh, was doing sort of an A/B, and it's—it's—it's it's, it's pretty great. It's close. Yeah, it will get closer in time as well. But it's 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 done without sacrificing some of the more traditional things about uh, about Ubuntu Mate that I liked. So I, it was a really it was a pretty solid. I have to ask you though, Wimpy, grave concern over this one. Grave concern. Uh, okay. Firefox fifty. What is going on here? Can you can you uh, talk to somebody? Crazy. I mean, <laughs> this is one of these. I mean, yeah. fifty four is out now. This is one of those things. Who at can, who who at Canonicals in charge of this? This is just. This is what happens in the in the dev cycle. You'll find that packages that are being revved, you know, regularly in the uh, uh, in the released. Oh, so it's not uh, like an archives. upstream thing. It is your fault. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I tease, I tease. I install Chrome immediately anyway, so it's fine. <laughs> as, as does everyone else. Yeah, right? yeah. That software apparently. <coughs> Firefox. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what you know. Oh, I... you're, you're their user, are you? Oh, I, the best browser ever. I, I was going to give it a go, but it was it was it was so old. I was like, why does this feel so slow? Like Firefox has gotten fat. Oh, oh, that's what's. So then I just you know what? Here's my tip for you. Ubuntu dash mate dash welcome space tack B. You hit that. Right. Boom. Software boutique flies right open. Queue up a couple of things and you go to the main screen. The new I like that queue animation that it does. There's yeah, like there's like cute, a right? yeah, there's like it's just tops. It really is like. I, I I opened up I knew I went in there I saw the internet section there was Chromium there was uh, uh, um, Brave did fail to install um, a live bug report there but uh, I figure that probably you. that'll probably work later on I do want to give Brave a go mm-hmm. um, and then and then I use that a lot now really right are you liking it yeah I, I it's my, the only browser I use on my phone and I'm using it about fifty percent of the time on my desktop now huh. All right, I'm going to give it a we'll go. Come back to that. Isn't it bothersome that they remove ads from specific websites and put their own ads in? No, I like that feature. Why? Because it removes all of the privacy invading ads and replaces them with sanitized versions. Hmm. 
So people and still a make whole money? heap of other privacy guarding, you know, capabilities, getting rid of all, all sorts of stuff that's buried in pages that you you really don't want. So there's no need for things like um, privacy badger and stuff like that. Yeah, but then there's all the, the the idea that the ads being put in are their ads and not the people who you're going to the website for, and they don't get anything for it. Yeah, I've I've signed up to their scheme to pay pay back the money to the sites that I want to support. Oh, so is that I'm, right? I, mm. I did yeah, not I'm, realize I'm, that was a component re- of it. Yeah, I don't know they even yeah. had that scheme. That sounds interesting. <laughs> it's almost like they thought about this before they implemented it. The browsers of today are broken. They've been overtaken by a barrage of sneaky and annoying ads. Trackers that follow your habits and cookies that build profiles and all sorts of other internet clutter that's taking precedence over the content that you want to see. In fact, these useless bites can take up to a whopping 50% of page load times, with a third of it anxiously trying to learn more about you. To make matters worse, some ad blockers are even letting ads through when large advertisers pay them. But do you really want a leaky ad blocker? It's because of these very reasons that we developed Brave, a new browser that kicks internet crud to the curb and makes it faster, safer, and better to surf the web than your current browser. With Brave, everything you need is built right in. We integrated technology that automatically blocks trackers, annoying ads, and shields everything that can cramp your style and destruct your privacy. Wow, I don't want With that. It, you can expect increased speeds nearly two times faster on laptops and up to four times faster on mobile. So there you go. And unlike any other browser. That's the pitch on Brave. Uh, it's it's a Mozilla project. So that's, you know, sort of interesting. No, it's so. not. No, it's not. Oh, it's not? It's, 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 the guy from Mozilla, the, oh, one of the founders okay. of Mozilla founded okay. this. Okay. Yeah. I see. Mozilla people found <clears> it. Yeah. I see. That was the confusion. So is it WebKit based then? Um, yes, I think it's linked. Well, it's, it's, it's a bit more complex than that, but okay. yes, essentially. Well, now I'm like, I'm like half as excited, but I'll still give it a go. I was way more excited when I thought it was Mozilla realizing that Firefox was dead and they were starting a new product and that they were going to revitalize Gecko in a new, more competitive browser. But now I mean, that's it's what just they're already doing with Firefox, though. Yeah, except for Firefox. That's what the web extensions are for. That's what yeah. Servo's for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the web extensions are coming in three releases. Like they're going to be like good. the the main thing in three releases. That's right good. now, you can already use them, and they've already got electrolysis out and all this other stuff. It's good. Yeah, you yeah. should use Firefox. Right. It already has all these things. Chrome. You know, I I really am so I'm so depressed about this topic. I don't think I want to talk about it much. <laughs> uh, check out Linux Action News 11. I mean, we covered a story. It's just it's devastating, devastating for Firefox. Uh, it's just so sad. It's so sad. Um, and there's just nothing they can do about it because it's, you know, as, and I make, this, I make this pitch a lot here on the show, but as, as open source enthusiasts, we are a particular kind of techie crowd and we are particularly susceptible to getting into arguments about things on their technical merits and we are less capable often. I don't know. I'm trying <laughs> to put this nicer, but we are less likely to have a better understanding of market dynamics and the market dynamics are such that a monopoly in search and in web services is contributing billions of dollars worth of advertising space, i.e. the top of YouTube, Google Search, Gmail, Calendar, all of Google's premier products. If you are not running Chrome, constantly nag you to upgrade, 
to Chrome. And that's the terminology they use is upgrade to Chrome. Yeah, they do. Google, Google Docs works better offline if you upgrade to Chrome. Google Calendar works offline if you upgrade to Chrome. Having problems watching this video? This is why I've seen this one on YouTube. Are you having problems oh. watching this video? Try upgrading to Chrome. Can you imagine how many users must fall for that? That's interesting. See, I use Firefox at work, but I don't. I only use it really for like for work things. So I don't watch YouTube. I don't check my personal email or any of those. So I don't see that. That's wow. It's literally invaluable ad space because Google doesn't oh, yeah. sell that to any AdSense customer. Only and and the thing is, is that uh, Firefox isn't competing against Internet Explorer anymore. Mm-hmm. Th- when when Firefox was truly taking over, they were being innovative and competitive in a way that the consumer base was hungry for the issue is is that like the beard just jokingly said oh that's nice you know it also has that is chrome google has not stood still at all they are not the stagnant monopoly that internet explorer was they are hungry as hell to shape the web and they are moving at a breakneck pace continuing to outpace firefox and Firefox, I wouldn't say that. Firefox's release schedule is fast. No, what I just now. mean is in, in – oh, I'm sorry. I mean they're continuing to get more users too. Like they're, 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 oh, that, they're yeah, down in velocity. Yeah. Dominating. Their momentum, yeah. What their momentum is continuing to grow and they're continuing to develop the product. Like it's, it's just not the it's same – It's not com- like what IE was, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, so. they have a vested interest in getting as many users as possible. Uh, so it's just uh, – uh, you know, it's just a plus. Uh, Firefox had a had a, had a – had an unlikely ally in the uh, U.S. justice system, which which was beating Microsoft over the head about bundling right. IE, which slowed things down. Yeah, I mean, it's it's harder. The, the argument between Chrome and Firefox is, is really hard because both are very good browsers to use, and it's purely a technical aspect that... But see, Brave would be new and shiny and... A would, chance at new branding get, and... Yeah. I mean, look at the attention Brave's getting already. Like, if this was a Mozilla There's, project, it would be Well, they're only getting them. attention because of the ad thing. If, if, if Firefox did the same thing and added an ad thing, it would be the same effect. Well, there is a big problem with Brave, though. Um, uh, it doesn't work on porn sites. That's the big problem. Oh, really? Why is that? Everything just is black because it blocks everything. So, I'm told... <laughs> Right, these sure. websites don't work very well. Uh, hmm. my, for my friends that uh, tell me, that <laughs> I know a lot of unsavory characters who use Brave for some that's what, reason. That's what Firefox focuses for. Well, maybe Focus. it'll just start working in 2022 when these drop Flash. Okay, hold on. I, actually, now this works. <laughs> so you use Brave for everything else, and you use Focus for porn, and boom, <laughs> Mozilla yeah, stole yeah. the game. Yep, <laughs> there's a lot of money in porn. Oh wow! Uh, so I guess uh, flash uh, flash update again. Another real time update here on the show. Breaking news: Mister Wimpy reports that uh, Brave is now installable via the software boutique. <laughs> Good job, Wimpy. That awesome. was quick. You're welcome. Uh, <clears throat> so there is a bit of a Patreon leak. Rumors are spreading, and uh, you know, I just I wanted to give you an opportunity to address the rampant speculation that the Ubuntu Mate project is moving to GitHub. That just seems seems like that's just rampant speculation. Yeah, we have. In fact, we've moved all of our projects to GitHub. Wow. Um, we're, we're integrated to the Max now. We've also got um, Slack going for the core team, and we're expanding the team quite considerably. So at the moment, we've got Etienne, who's come in. Um, he's been doing good work behind the scenes for some time, and he's now heading up the QA team. Hmm. And, they're, and whilst I'm here having an evening of podcasting, they're busy uh, doing the ISO testing for the new release. Well, thank you. So um, really good. Yeah, we've well, got a lot of improvements there to streamline our processes and there'll be more tooling just to, coming along. Just to make sure I'm clear, though, 
<clears throat> this means the project is essentially migrating from Launchpad, right? We have moved the few packages that we were maintaining on Launchpad to GitHub. And that so, isn't required to be a flavor, to be on Launchpad? Well, we need to have our bug tracker on Launchpad and what uh, have you, okay. and that's still there. That's oh, okay. fine. Okay, I see. Um, you know, so that's more about if there's a bug reported, we're able to close the bug by uploading a new package directly in Launchpad. But in terms of source code hosting, that's all on GitHub now. That makes sense. Plus there's also the mirroring to Launchpad thing. No, we've uh, we've just um, exported everything to GitHub. The only thing that we've left on Launchpad are the seeds because they have to be there. And do you do you suppose that this might lead to more uh, more contributors to the project? People that maybe that's, yeah yeah without a doubt we've already seen it. The the day after yeah. we migrated, we just dumped you know just mi- ran a load of migration scripts and moved everything mm-hmm. over. And we knew there was a load of like URLs and things that needed changing in the code before we could repackage them. And the next morning there was a load of pull requests where people had just come in and changed all of those URLs for wow. us. And that's the GitHub effect, right? Mm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah that's cool. So whilst we can have UX a debate UX. about, you know, open source code hosting and all the rest of it, GitHub is where most of the eyeballs are and you get more drive-by commits there. Uh, it's as simple as that. Yeah, it makes sense. It does. And if it, if it leads to more open source, it seems to me a net to be a good thing. And if it leads to more people writing open source, then in net, it's a good thing. This seems yeah, wimpy I, like I, it's... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say it, it's it's so much better now that it's on GitHub because it's a lot easier to just do pretty much everything. Because like just by creating a Launchpad account and trying to commit to a, uh, contribute to a project is so difficult that most people just give up. I've had an account with Launchpad for... I don't know, like 10 years. I think I've used it maybe five <laughs> times. Yeah. Uh, okay, so this is just my impression. I'm not saying this is Wimpy's position, but to me, wh- looking at this alpha, I mean, it's a freaking alpha. Uh, it, um, first of all, I don't really, I don't it's so damn, it's, it feels so damn ready. I, it sort of blows my mind, but this feels like this is the release. It's really like, this is ready for the masses. It's ready for people look Unity refugees. I mean, this really feels like it's, polished to the next level for this desktop release yeah so it has been a ton of work it's been three months we we literally started working on this the day after 1704 was released we were the first people to commit anything to 1710 awesome and it's been um late nights and long nights for three months and we've pretty much landed at this point everything that we wanted to get on the desktop for the final release that's three months from now so we're done in terms of features except we've got another three months so now we're going to go and circle back to some things so you will you will have heard the news about our new software boutique which is not in this release it's still the old one slightly refreshed so now work will start on uh, finishing up the new software boutique and there's a few other little skunk work projects that some of the other projects are helping us with, and um, they should uh, trickle along um, uh, between now and October. So we're kind of done with the desktop, and now we're going to really start adding some more polish and improvements on top of what we've got here. That's a good position to be yeah. in. That's going to make for a uh, this this release so sounds so damn good. You should have saved it for the uh, LTS. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> I guess but that this is just we're one step away, right? So I, I've not been doing you know the flavors in Ubuntu for very long, but I have done one LTS before, and I remember what it was like when we were making fifteen ten, 
and then the effort that was involved to get 15 to 10 to 16.04. Yeah. And that was hard work. And I, I, I realized that really 17.10 needs to be your 18.04. And then it's all about improving the quality and the stability mm. in that 18.04 cycle. That's Landing those brilliant. last few features, but really making sure it's mm-hmm. solid. Yeah, totally. That is that's going to make for a good solid and we're, we're well ahead of where we wanted to be because this time last year we were transitioning from gtk2 to gtk3 and i'd originally planned we would finish that gtk3 transition about now about this time but we finished that last october so we we got like a cycle ahead of ourselves so i'm re and, and ubuntu mate now is really starting to be the desktop platform that I wanted to use because simple things like super key and and the HUD and global menus. I don't use the global menus myself, but I know lots of people like those. These were all things that were niggling at me that I knew weren't quite right. And it wasn't perfect. And it's really feeling like it's falling into place now and it's all coming together. And the indicator support, it's got the same indicators that you'd expect to find in unity seven. So everything that you'd expect to find in a unity desktop you'll find here now so i'm really pleased with how it's shaping up yeah it, it really comes through as a great release just even trying out the uh, the latest uh, that I, I got the daily build and mm-hmm. uh, it was it was pretty great uh if you you know if you want to know about this stuff first the people who support the ubuntu mate project learn about it from the horses fingers i guess uh, patreon.com/ubuntu_mate I'll have a link in the show notes too if you want to support the project. Not uh, only do you get news, but you help uh, help yeah. the news keep on coming. Yeah, uh, there is uh, there's a poll over there right now about uh, which video player should be the default in Ubuntu Mate. Obviously, it should be GNOME MPV. It is you? the greatest. Uh, just saying, with in my humble opinion, I completely agree. Well, Wimpy, have kept, you voted? Uh, uh, let me go. Yes, 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 I did. Yes, I did. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, yes. We need, we need more. Gnome MPV needs more love. It's such a, it, it, yeah, even team, just MPV. Team Gnome MPV, please. Yeah, it is a great media player. And as somebody who uh, does a lot of media editing and work, and then also uses, uh, really pushes it for um, uh, Unfilter, it's just such, MPV is such a great tool. Are you saying Gnome MPV or just MPV? Well, MPV in general, and if you're going to use Gnome a, MPV. If you're going to use a wrapper around it, Gnome MPV is the way to go. It really is great. Okay, I was just wondering, like, uh, is it? I've always never noticed the reason why somebody would want to use GNOME MVP versus MPV. Like, it's just you could just right click and load the video with MPV. So I was just curious if the I could tell you why I because like it. oh, go ahead with me. Well, I was going to say I I like it because it it adds um the typical interfaces to manipulate it that you'd expect to be there. Yeah, the users it doesn't feel like an odd duck, right? But I like it because uh, so I use it exclusively to play back all of the crazy types of file formats we have for unfilter clips. It's just a whole range that we get stuff in. Um, <laughs> Whatever yeah, you can, right? Real player. I mean, I'm telling you, it's a whole range. And the yeah, nice but that's thing, an MPV thing, right? Right. So no, I know. Not, but let me just say, so the nice thing about Gnome MPV is it, it gives you a super clean, minimal, but always available play bar indicator, pause button. I can always see where the play position is. Uh, and it it is one of the, it's probably one of the best designed nomads in, in the sense that it's almost nothing to it except for just barely what you need and it's just enough that i can look down and know exactly where it's at play wise and if i want to go full screen it's like f11 or you know a click away or whatever it is so it's kind of like a perfect balance for me in that sense 
So I guess it's more like it's a user inter- user experience is easier to get because you, you don't have to learn all the specific shortcuts that MPV uses. There's that, like there's- and it's like I, while I'm playing something on the stream, I can't keep putting my mouse over the video to see where the play position's at and oh, have okay. that display over the video because that's tacky. So having it just below the video where I can still see where the play position's at but don't have to show anything on screen makes for a better presentation. Okay, I understand. So that. there's always weird, you know, use cases. I always have a weird one. It's a, it's very much a tool. It's it, where it's regular MPV works great if I'm going to put on some, you yeah. know, MP, MKV yeah. file and just yeah. watch it for an hour. Yeah, like if I'm going to do a live stream, I just MPV and then the URL. I don't bother mm. with Gnome MPV. Like if it's because and there's really MPV. In my opinion, has done such a good job at giving you information that is readable on the command line output when you use it from the command line. That even if you're not like a pro user, you can see like it's trying to fix. It'll try to fix a video and audio sync for you and tell you what mm-hmm. it offsets it's using. Like it's just brilliant. There, there's it. another thing that I found in, recently. MPV does that a lot of people don't. Under, you even think that they would do this, but you can take videos that are like awkwardly slowed down or have weird cropping issues, yep. and you can like resume and recrop it. I use that all the time. Yeah, I use that all the time. Yeah, it's really nice. VLC is a great tool as well. We do use that in production here at Studio, but. Uh, you know, if I could only have, if I'm on an island and I can only have one package, MPV or no MPV all the way, mm-hmm. it's it's so great. Um, all right, so I, there's a couple more things I want to talk about before we wrap up for the day, and uh, we also have, I think we have, uh, I think we're going to get some more Alex Cute info out of Simon in the post show. Yeah, so more to come, more to come. But I want to take a moment and I want to talk about something else I take on that desert island with me, and that's Linux Academy. Then I could sit there and train my mind. LinuxAcademy.com/slash/unplugged. Go there to support the show and. Sign up for a free seven-day trial, linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. A platform by Linux – I'll say it again. A platform. A platform. You see, I got a little pop there. A little bit. A platform by Linux enthusiasts for Linux enthusiasts, people that wanted to spread the adoption of Linux and kind of began to think about this project from there, then got together with real-world educators, people with experience, developers. They came together as a group, like a holy trinity, you might say. I mean, they probably wouldn't Mm -hmm. say that, but I might say that of Linux education. And they built a system. They started in a, they started in a reasonable, like, approachable, like, actually accomplishable product. And then it just took off like wildfire. And they've been able to grow it. And it, it just adds so much value to the platform. If you've been a subscriber now for like a year, you've just seen it take off like nuts. Self-paced, in-depth video courses, hands-on scenario-based labs that give you real experience on servers. You get to SSH into those bad boys and use them like you really would. And Man, is that nice because it gives you confidence to actually work with this stuff. Oh, you're busy? Yeah, I know about that. They have a course schedule that worked with your busy time to make it all fit in there. They have Learning Pass 2 if you just want to go into a specific career track. Maybe you've got some type of certain mind. Well, they also have courses created specifically to prepare you for that. They also have a vibrant community that's packed full of Jupyter Broadcasting members and study tools that you can download offline and take with you and iOS and Android apps if you have some downtime and Want to do a little studying? Gosh, that's cool. Yeah, that's really cool. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Go there to sign up, get a free seven-day trial and support the show, and then dig in. And I think probably, you know, I got to say my favorite feature is the human beings, the instructor mentoring, like the actual help. Because that's that's really what takes them up to the next level. Because instead of just throwing on Linux as a feature that they have, as well as plumbing and Adobe After Effects and Final Cut. Oh, and then they have your Linux stuff over here and your developer stuff, because you got to have those checkboxes. you got to check those boxes. Mm-hmm. 
But then they're not going to have anybody passionate about that stuff in their company. That's not like their core focus. That's not what their mission's about. So Linux Academy, they focus on Linux, open source, and all the stuff around it, which means they can hire people professionally, well, not just professionally trained, but passionate. Yeah. Passionate about it. It means you can count on them that, you know, they know what they're doing. And if you get stuck or, you know, it just, sometimes you need two or three different ways of hearing something to learn it. The other way that that. that it manifests itself in a way that is valuable to customers is that since they're following trends because they're enthusiasts, they're on to stuff that is valuable. Like when when containerization started becoming a thing, Linux Academy was having having the best courseware on it. and And the stuff like you could immediately go and apply to a job kind of stuff. Really practical, good stuff, always giving you value. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Sign up for a free seven-day trial and support the show. This is a great post, uh, and it, it got me missing GNOME already. Uh, and it was uh, from a Metanova over in the Unplugged subreddit, LinuxUnplugged.reddit.com. And he says, Greetings Unplugged. I recently have made the switch back to Arch and GNOME 3, and for the most part, I'm pretty happy with the switch. However, I'm distracted easily. Huh? What? What'd you say? Oh, I'm sorry. You distracted me. You weren't listening. Uh, And uh, so I I try to do my best to adapt my desktop environment to account for this. My biggest problem with GNOME, or GNOME, as uh, you say, is that the activities window overview is really disorienting for me. I use Dash to Dock for switching windows, but I still have problems when I open the overview to launch applications. Seeing every single window I have whoosh onto the screen is really distracting and can really knock me out of my flow. Boy, I could see that. Like, you know, your Telegram window comes up and you see you got a shit ton of chats that you haven't answered in 15 minutes or with Slack or the IRC or your email. <laughs> what was that? Oh, uh, the easiest solution to this problem is to use another application launcher like GNOME Do. Anyways, he goes through his goals here to sort of make GNOME a less distracting UI. And I, it, it dawned on me that this was the problem I ran into when I switched to Plasma for a while, is that there was just so many things for me to play with. Widgets that tell me my CPU stuff and my new messages and ways, different ways to set up the panel. There's a ton. Yeah. He's doing, he's doing a plea for help. He says, does anyone in the Unplugged family, the, fam, the Unplugged fam, <laughs> yeah. know about this? Is there an extension I'm missing? I like that. Uh, alternatively, if anyone here is familiar with uh, developing GNOME extensions, creating extensions that hides window previews and activities, etc., it'd be greatly appreciated. Ultimately, I'm looking for an activities tweaker or other ideas and experiences that the audience has had. And uh, we have a link to Metanova's thread, if you want to toss in there. Uh, what about you, Wes? Are you, do you suffer? Because you, you probably get in a type of work that requires that you get into a flow and maintain that flow for a while. Uh, do you suffer from distracted UI? You know, thankfully not, especially not on, on GNOME. Um, I don't usually, you know, if I, if I am even using Dash to Dock, it's hidden. Uh, so there's always the problem of notifications, but that's, you know, usually a per app thing. So as long as I'm you know, divide my screen in half. I got a terminal. I have a web browser. I can I can get in the groove. Hmm. But hmm. I do know what you mean like playing with Plasma in the past, especially for me. When it it might be something that like I've been using GNOME for ages now, so I might just be used to anything that would have distracted me as a new user. I think that's probably part of it. WW, you seem like a nice, rational gentleman. Do you have the problem of distracting UI? Right now, no, not really. Because and like I don't have any like any background wallpaper forget about asking me for what's hit or cool because i have a billion windows up i have tabs yeah so tabs is pretty much my lifestyle right yeah. now i know what the beard solution is full screen all the things oh yeah if, if you just run everything full screen then you can only look at one thing at a time i don't have we ever talked about that the fact that you're a full screen maniac i don't think so he's all in on the full screen 
every app I have is full screen. And yeah, I have wow. like 20 to 30 apps. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, of course, never app. a split. And, and then like my browser that has 200 tabs. Yeah. So I can only ever see one thing at a time. So I'm never distracted. That is a it's an intense way to operate. But you do seem to make it work for you. For me, like I get claustrophobic in that setup. Like I'm like I gotta I gotta be able to like I I need an overview and all that. I need Windows. That's for me. I need to be able to move stuff around. I just oh yeah. See, I agree with architect. If you can see your background, you're just being lazy. <laughs> there you go. All right, that's a that's not a bad note to end it on. I'll just I just want to talk really quickly then about uh, this journey that I'm starting. It's it's fun for me, and I I won't go on and on about it. So I put it at the end of the show. But it's something that's different for me personally with my Linux use in a long time is. Uh, I'm I'm making I've talked about this on user a little bit so I'll just give you the cliff notes I'm switching away from Antigros and Arch love Arch think it's a great 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 desktop workstation OS super stable despite what all the haters say um, Antigros has been difficult for me recently and they, it's that? a good project it's a great way to get your hands on but uh, I just have I just am constantly having um, Package keys. Package key problems that prevent me from updating my system. And it's only about a five-minute fix each time. Uh, but it happens about once a month mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And it, when you multiply that across like five systems, it gets frustrating. And it's even the same commands to fix it and all that stuff. But it just feels like – well, I don't want to – I like the project a lot. But it's it's just – what happens is is it makes me skip updating, which is – That only makes it worse. That's when you start going yeah. down a slippery slope with Arch. And you start you start not updating and you start running into problems. So it's kind of changed the value proposition for the whole thing in some ways. The other thing that's been a big change for me is uh, post-Linux Action Show, I don't do desktop app picks right. and a project spotlight and a distribution pick. Like, I don't have the picks, and so I don't have to try out – so the picks – like we talk about one app that week, but we tried five or six other mm-hmm. ones, other contenders. So it means installing five or six or seven or eight or sometimes ten different things to try out which one really works and which one is generally available to the audience and applicable. And the AUR was just a slam dunk. If you want to try out it's all the there. different, yeah, it's, it's always there. And so it made it, it. It literally made it was part of my workflow. You know, go into the AUR, find the application, try it out, review it for the show, probably uninstall it, maybe not. Um, and that will, you know, rinse, repeat every single week. And now I don't really have, like, I've kind of have my stable set of applications I use. And I'm just getting my work done now. I'm not, I'm not like sitting there trying to find new stuff constantly. And uh, I don't know. So it's changed, it's changed what I need from my distributions package manager too. Right. And I would say like when you first switched to Arch, uh, you know, snaps were not flat packs. They exactly. were not in the oh, place yeah. that they oh, used. Yeah. They are they now. They weren't even a thing. Yeah. So you have a lot more options, even on you know a Docker super wasn't a thing even, system. Yeah. Right. So there's also that's the other thing is is uh, there's like I was experimenting with Solus and there was software I wanted that wasn't available. I was like, oh yeah, Docker. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can of have course, a whole arc system running if you want. One of the things that uh, so it's funny because now I'm on the other end of this. One of the things that's that's true is for me is I don't. Uh, I say, I wonder if it tells me right here. I don't. I don't make it a priority to update. Uh, yeah. So there's 231 package updates for the OBS machine. I don't make it a practice to constantly upgrade the OBS machine because that makes a production machine less reliable. Mm-hmm. I need newer versions of everything underlying OBS, and I need newest versions of OBS, but I don't need my GNOME shell to change. I don't really need my GNU tools to change. I, kernel updates, unless, you know, except for security, I don't, I mean, everything's working as it is. In fact, we have some customized drivers for these capture cards. So an LTS is starting to make a yeah. lot more sense to me than it used to. 
You're just going to make Noah's day, aren't you? You're making the what I like to call the Rakai to Noah transition. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> How so? Well, because I like the bleeding edge of everything, and Noah likes the LTS. So you're making the transition from one to the other. Yeah, I don't see this. Is, I, it makes sense on the production equipment, but it sounds boring as snot for my desktop. It yeah. just really it's like it sounds like it's sucking some of the fun out of using Linux. But I think you're also some maybe in a place where you're very busy and you're doing yeah. a lot more content production um, yeah, that yeah. makes it so this is what i was thinking too i mean you can always leave well, one also, system art have you heard of the church of neon <laughs> oh <laughs> you know i that's so that's the other that's the other wrinkle isn't it because you've we've got we've got an, a, 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 tr- a true blue gnome desktop coming from ubuntu very soon and i'm very interested in that we just talked about the super slick snot stuff in Ubuntu Mate that really makes it a contender. Then you you do have the Plasma desktop as well. I, I, I just, like, the, the, the whole field is open to me again. I feel myself, I'm beginning to distro hop in a way that I haven't done for two and a half, two and a half, three years. Uh, so I've, I've been trying out, right now I've been trying out mostly Ubuntu-based stuff because I keep thinking if I'm going to go this route, it seems like I should probably rebase on Ubuntu. Yeah. But there's like this... Ike on my shoulder that keeps talking about all the cool Ooh. shit that Solus is doing about how Clear Boot Manager would be great for us for use in production here. And, yeah. and then Fedora's got this Fedora Workstation OS tree release that they're working on. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. So many good options. This is, it's, it's so much harder than it ever has been uh-huh. to pick a distribution right now. And then Rika is saying Slackware off in the corner over there. You're so <laughs> well, tempted. That's, just it. that's why I was, I was going to do a Slackware challenge, but I'm right in the middle. I'm in the throes uh, yeah. of this. Like My guess is Chris is going to... He's not going to be able to decide, and he's going to compromise and end up on Ubuntu Budgie. There we go. Well, that's reasonable. What do you think, Bashful? That might be a good way to go, huh? Uh, yeah, I'm kind of a little uh, <laughs> one-sided on this one, but <laughs> sure. Uh, it's, as a daily, you use it as a dick. You could speak from as a as a from the perspective of a daily user over there. Uh, you get you get uh, you get your work done every single day, right? And you're running. You're running it on uh, uh, the last release right now? I, I, I don't know, but I mean, you're using it every day as a daily driver. Yeah, I'm uh, running 17.04, and I'm actually running it at work, too. So, And that's over a remote session as well, and I haven't really had any issues with it at all. I got to tell you, another option is Nitrix. <laughs> Good callback. Good callback, Nitrix. I, see, Budgie is a great desktop, um, but. Would, it's, 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 so why would I switch to that just so that way I can switch again in a year or whatever? Like, I don't know. Yeah, but you're going to run into that with almost any distro you pop in if you're not entirely happy. No, I just I just mean like that. I think that desktop's going to be going through a transition where right now it seems like the time to you know get in on GNOME three if if things are shaping up. Like Mike, Mike, Mike. When's the last time we crashed? It's been it's been like two weeks, right? Since we've had a GNOME three crash. Like, yeah. So the last time the last round of updates I did manage to apply did seem to improve stability. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, until the next issue crops up. Well, there's that. There is that. Yeah. So, anyways, my distro, my distro hopping ways have returned. Like, and of course, it's, it's happening. It's kind of fun. It has to be happening right around the seventeen ten release cycle too. So, mm-hmm. it's, and oh you know, gosh. you say that that that's a reason not to use Budgie, but don't you think that GNOME is probably about to go through a huge transition as well? No, I think GTK four is going to be more evolutionary well i was more talking about the effect that ubuntu might have on gnome oh, oh. boy well so far i like all those effects yeah. i gotta say uh-huh. i mean i'm really this is this is the thing is uh when i was trying ubuntu mate and i rebooted this system like i realized as i was hitting the restart button like ah oh, 
I really like Gnome. <laughs> like, I really like Gnome 3. It's really good. It's just I don't like it when it runs like dog poo and crashes a lot. But yeah. other than that, I really mm-hmm. like it. All right, it. Chris. You can run Gnome on your desktop upstairs, and then down here in the studio, we'll run KD everywhere. Well, okay. So if you're going to go – this then, then we, we can have both. Then we can wrap this up. We got we to gotta move. We got to wrap it up for the day. But uh, if just, just – if you take it to its practical, logical conclusion, why not go Ubuntu LTS with Unity 7? Because I this guess. is this is a seriously this other than the few problems we've had with the sound interface this 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 uh, well, mumble system that's running Unity seven and Ubuntu is like a hundred percent rock works, solid yeah. yeah yeah and I guess by the time that it's end of life we'll probably have moved on to something else and like we've that. even done a yep, couple of update patches on this thing so it, we've it's, it's managed to take its updates and not shit the bed and it runs until we have some cockamamie reason to reboot it and. I mean, it's just been rock solid. And Unity 7 opens windows real nice. It has nice uh, borders to grab my windows to resize them. All the things I like about a desktop. It does I have Unity 7 on some stuff, too. It does randomly and inexplicably spin up our GPU, though. That is true. That <laughs> did start happening. That did start happening. I've been getting a lot of crap for saying nice things about Unity. Uh, people are really angry that all of a sudden I have positive things to say about Unity now that it's end of life. And it's, I, I, think, it's, I think it's funny because if you look at the, the majority of the community – the the transition has been much more positive for Unity now that things like all all of the features that Unity had that people didn't even know existed, they're going oh wow that's great you know too bad Unity's dead now like well yeah good job yeah but those same people just you know a couple of months ago were crapping on Unity because why is Ubuntu doing their own of thing? of course <laughs> anti canonical rhetoric yeah just this it's a canonical hate and that's I don't I I never understood then and I always they're always pointed out how Unity has a lot of cool features. And now that it's gone, it's kind of it's kind of sad in a way. Well, it's still there. Like that's what I was saying. It's like no, it's. it's still... good. I mean, I mean, as far as the, like the innovation is all dead. Like the fact that the HUD, the concept of the HUD is just being is was abandoned, and then people and other people were trying to like rebuild everything and hmm. bring back the global menu. And like w- the global menu has like every single global menu implementation so far has these weird massive holes. Like the CSDs don't work, and well. I'm I'm kind of hopeful. Not in Ubuntu Mate seventeen ten. <laughs> I'm kind of hopeful Uh-oh. that um, Mic drop. Canonical will bring some of those improvements to GNOME and make it a, a desktop that I like more because I don't really like GNOME right now. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. And it's I am not really out Plasma either. So it's yeah. well, supposedly Ubuntu is kind of not changing that much except for like already made extensions. Well, initially, but who knows what they're going to do down the road. Hmm. I think it's. Well, yeah, I, I think knows, I think it's. Cause... I think it's too obvious. I think it's not about. It's not about changing the direction of GNOME, because that's sort of the whole point of making this switch was to not have to to be that to be that to be that player. Now you're now the idea is you ride with upstream and you can spend your time fixing. So, God, we gotta go. Uh, we let Dan know we're just gonna be yeah. five minutes. So here's the thing. The hard stuff isn't getting done in open source, and a lot of us know it. A lot of us know that the stuff that's really, really tough to fix requires people that are working in teams that have a coordinated development standards practice, that maybe have a PMO that's managing the things they're working on and telling them instead of them choosing by what happens to fit their fancy. The really hard stuff is the underlying stuff, like the hundreds of bugs and Bluetooth and things like that that require a real development focus and team to work on them. And that's an area 
area where Canonical can really and is already adding a ton of value without having to fork the file manager or anything like that. And I, I think that is fundamentally going to be the long, long-term impact to the GNOME desktop. Isn't so much about them dictating the design future of uh, GNOME 3, but more about letting the GNOME project make a great desktop, making modifications via the extension systems where it's appropriate, and working on the underlying underpinning stuff that makes using like a Bluetooth speaker with your Linux box actually usable. And that's, I think, going to be the big benefit. End of rant. It was just a quickie. Well, I, I, I agree with that, but I also think that the fact that Ubuntu is settling on GNOME now lets you um, work better with upstream while also making changes. So it's it's more like it's not necessarily you're changing the direction of GNOME. It's you're just helping improve the GNOME experience. Right. Which is, I think, what was why some people, it's though I, some of the Unity haters didn't like Unity. Yeah. Is the mixed resources thing. Oh, we got a, we got a fire. Well, to be fair, Unity Seven was way, Unity itself was way better for GNOME, than GNOME for years. <laughs> like uh, GNOME for th- three to four years was utter garbage. Yeah. Well, right. Well, there. You know what? On that positive on that, note, because yeah. mm-hmm. that's you know that is that is a story for another time. We could, you know we were thinking about it. We should do like a history edition, like a gather around oh, story version where we go that. back through the the good and bad old days of all of this. But not for today. That is a project for future Linux Unplugged. If you'd like to participate in the conversation, join us live on Tuesdays over at jblive.tv. We do it at 2 p.m. Pacific. You can get it converted to your local time at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. We also have the subreddit, linuxunplugged.reddit.com, the contact page at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. The winner of the Dell sweepstakes in user air, what is it, 18? Yep. Yep, user air 18. Go check that out. Great episode with Mr. Chase. Follow the network at Jupiter Signal. Oh, special outtakes were just posted for patrons too over patreon.com slash Jupiter Signal. Tons of stuff. We'll see you right back here next Tuesday. Let's go pick a title before we get yeah. out of here, guys. Mumble Room, thank you very much. Uh, Simon had a couple of... I know he had a, several points he wanted to get into about LXQ. So let me say this really quick. Go over to jbtitles.com. Let's see if we can't make our quickest title pick yet so yes. that way Dan and Wes can get started ASAP. Simon, you wanted to jump in though real quick on a couple of things. That was your... your ish? Ish? Shame yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So Alpha 2 is going to be released on Thursday, and both me and, and um, Bashful Robot, we're doing the checklist tracking. Woo-hoo. So um, so we're we, we're just wondering if anybody can help test, you know, if you're, if you're installing Ubuntu Matana machine or if you're installing, you know, the other flavors are Kubuntu, which they have, I believe they have the latest plasma on this release. Um, you have the Lubuntu, Lubuntu Next flavor, um, which is the experimental image, and you have Ubuntu Budgie and Ubuntu Chillin'. Um, 
So if you install any of those on your machine, if you happen to do that within the next day or two, um, it'd be great if you could at least, you know, let us know that it works, that sort of thing. Um, Because we're right now in in sort of like a testing phase for Alpha 2. Return of the Distro Hopper. I think Chris switches to BSD. We should save that one in case that ever actually happened. I doubt it, but boy, so many people, since I've mentioned this, are like, dude, you should try out BSD. And I'm like, uh I think I would rather run Slackware than than run BSD. Maybe. I'm not sure. (laughs) BSD is like the greatest thing you should possibly want if you don't want to run a desktop. (laughs) Uh, You'd have to swap your hosting duties there, Chris. Yeah. I mean, I could fill in now. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. Scratch by a thumbnail. Keep killing Flash. I still think Return of the Distro Hopper might be better. Uh, So long, and thanks for all the Flash. Yeah, that's good, too. But that was taken by uh, Chromium. Um, you, well, what was architect? What, what, what? Oh, you know, I want to. You know, maybe one day somebody. You know what? Somebody actually pitched it to me as somebody actually suggested I should switch to BSD so that way when I use Linux, it's emulated and it's consistent, and so I'll have a more stable Linux experience because I'll be using an emulated Linux experience under BSD. There you go. <laughs> I mean, you, we who could... was that? Was it architect? Was it, who was it that made that argument? Somebody around here made that argument in this neck of the woods, and I, I that one really got me. Uh, jbtitles.com. I think we're going to go with Return of the Distro Hopper just in the like in the order of expedience here. Um, flash dance. You know, I get Flash dance is good too. I gotta say, Wimpy made me happy, and then he immediately made me sad. What? What happened? What happened? Because he's talking about moving uh, Ubuntu Mate to GitHub. Yeah, and he moved everything. To but, GitHub, except for the part that I hate about Launchpad, the was, bug tracker. Oh, the bug uh, tracker. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that yeah, makes sense, it, though. That, that bit of infrastructure. You can you can raise issues on GitHub. That's no problem. Um, we'll, we'll deal with issues in GitHub. That's, oh, okay. That's fine oh, as well. Oh, oh well, that's, yeah, we both, that's a good compromise. Both trackers are open, but we need we also need the one in Launchpad to actually yeah, of course. Okay, close project again. milestones and stuff. Yeah. Uh, you're welcome. That's brilliant, actually. Just, uh, just work on Chris explaining he needs a stable uh, operating system for his production machine. <laughs> That's so. okay. He'll walk, point in, him at the, he'll walk in Point him at the green one. And, or or TrueOS. Uh, Mate will be on every system. 